Welcome to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in rainy Tampa, Florida tonight. We got a little little chilly, rainy weather as we hit the uh, prepare for the Super Bowl weekend. We have a special guest tonight, the one and only Andrew Felios, ESPN play-by-play announcer, close personal childhood friend. Welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. What's going on, Jason? This is an honor to be able to come on this podcast, and uh, I'm proud of you, man. You've always probably been the guy who knows more about sports than anybody else that I've grown up with or have really (laughs) known. So the fact that you are following this passion, uh, better late than never. I wish you had done it maybe in high school and college, but the fact that you're doing it now, man, better late than never. And and, uh, it's great to be a part of this because I know it's doing great. Well, I know you were honestly... Part of this whole venture was because of you. You're, you. You've kind of inspired me with your broadcasting career, and we're going to get into that a little bit here in a second. But, uh, again, just want to thank thank you for coming on. We're, we're going to have a little fun tonight. We're going to talk. First of all, the first part of the podcast is not going to be so much fun. We're going to talk Kobe, the tragedy with Kobe and the nine uh, the nine victims of the horrific crash on Sunday. And then we're going to talk. Then we're going to try to lighten it up at the end. We're going to talk a little Super Bowl preview. We're going to get you a prediction, and we're going to talk about the game and all that stuff. But, First things first, we got to, we got to talk about Kobe Bryant, the terrible helicopter crash Sunday, Calabasas, California, right outside of LA. Your just your your thoughts. Where were you at? What did you know? What did you think when you heard? Well, sad for me personally because I was actually arriving at the cemetery, my father's one year memorial. He passed away one year ago exactly, and we were just leaving church and a luncheon we had with our priest at church and we were just pulling up to the Sylvan Abbey Cemetery here in Pinellas County. So imagine that when just as you're pulling up, you hear something of a completely different scope. You know, there's family. Everybody has dealt with death at some point, Jason, at, you know, when it comes to family and friends. But now this is somebody who, you know how much I love basketball. This is one of those guys who... You just you look up to. Uh, he is the he is top shelf in the game of basketball. He's as good as it gets, and he's a guy who you aspire to play like, to be like, and it's hard to not like Kobe Bryant. Although there were lots of moments in his career where you know there are times when he was kind of looked at as the villain. Certain moments with Shaq, you remember. I think if you had taken a poll back in the day, a lot of fans would have probably sided with Shaq as as which player. To, to keep in Los Angeles. But through it all, I think what touched people is how Kobe Bryant was able to grow throughout his career and realize he couldn't do it all himself. And he showed that humility, especially late in his career. I think having kids was, was a big reason for that and how he was able to make his marriage work. And then after retirement, how he was becoming such a phenomenal father and was a phenomenal father. That combined with the player that he was I think really has made people really feel this death. And what's interesting about this whole situation is it's, it's just, I mean, 41 years old. It's not like he was 62, you know, had left, you know. And one of the cool things about Kobe that you would not have thought he was living such a full life after retirement. He didn't have a whole lot of interaction with basketball. He really only got back into basketball because of his one, his, one of his daughters, Gianna, became, was starting to play, play ball, play on a travel ball team. He really wasn't very much in the in the public eye when it came to basketball. He was doing entertainment stuff. He was producing. He produced a short film, which he won an Academy Award. He wrote a book. So he's doing stuff away from the game, which you wouldn't have, you would have thought with the competitive fire that he might have been a guy that would have maybe looked to buy a team, maybe to be a general manager or something like that during a team. So he wasn't in the public eye a whole lot when it came to the basketball side of things. So just him in the last year or so with his daughter really getting into hoops, you saw him with Luka Doncic a, a, a month or so back at the Laker game, daughter in the front row, teaching, talking to his daughter about the ins and outs of the game. So I think that's what really, and I didn't even know anything about his Mamba Academy that he had a facility in LA that he was, they were doing travel ball, you know, tournaments and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't know anything about that. So that was interesting to know. But just, just a sad, sad situation, you know. We won't talk about the helicopter. I mean, there was this question is going to come out about what, what, why was the helicopter flying and the weather conditions weren't very good from all indications and all that stuff. And the tragic part is not that just Kobe passed away and his daughter, but seven other people, 
you know, two or three other families were just severely affected. A, a well-known baseball coach out in Orange County, junior college coach, another family, a mother, a, a husband, wife, and their and their daughter were all all perished. You had another mom who was the assistant coach for the team. He had a, she had a husband and three kids. I'm watching the Today Show on Monday morning. I think the guy just called in randomly. I don't think they were. It was a setup situation. The husband called in, and they were in in Savannah Guthrie, and, and we're, we're talking to him. And he was just. I mean, obviously he's crushed, but I mean he was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do without my. I don't know. I'm going to raise these kids without my wife. Just such a tragedy. And and I remember when, obviously when your father passed away. Just the down. I mean, just it's just it's just terrible. You never get over it. It never gets better. I've been fortunate my mom and dad haven't passed away yet, but that time's coming for all of us. If you haven't experienced it, you're going to hear it. In a, in a, and it's just it's just a really, really tough situation. And, you know, certain deaths like the one of my father, and I appreciate you saying that, but we expected that. We had prepared for that for years to come. And um, this was something, though, that kind of just hit you. Snap of a finger, it's over. And, Jason, it's one thing when, when something like that happens where it just broadsides you and immediately I started thinking, you know, throughout the day, has there ever been a tragic sports death like this, of this magnitude? I don't think there has ever been, Jason, not in our lifetime. I mean, both of us are in our 40s. I mean, early in our life, I I know you you may not remember Thurman Munson from the Yankees. And granted, if you're not a Yankees fan, and he was a good player, but he wasn't a a all-timer. I mean, I remember Thurman Munson just the we weren't around when, when Roberto Clemente's plane crashed that tragically. He was a he was a great, I mean, a, an all-timer kind of guy. I mean, I know, I mean, I, I, I can't think of it. Thurman Munson, Jay, was 32 years old, so very much a young man. Roberto Clemente, 38 years old uh, in that 72. Len, for, me, for me and you, probably Len Bias. Huge. That was probably the first one that you really got your attention. Like, oh, my God, this guy was going to be... The death of Len Bias Ugh. made me, Jason, in a good way, afraid of drugs. I never touched a drug in my life because I was afraid that I was going to be Len Bias and what happened with him. Remember, he was supposedly drug-free before the night when he had that cocaine overdose and just went wild on that one night. He had just been drafted by the Celtics third overall. They had a coup in order to get there. Remember this. When the Celtics drafted him, they still had Bird. They still had McHale. They still had – I mean – they were the team in the at the time they drafted Len Bias, and all of a sudden dead. Three days after he's two days after he's drafted, he's having a, some you know they're doing whatever they're doing in the in the room at, at, at University of Maryland, and he's dead, and it is over. That guy was supposed to be a competitor with Michael Jordan as far as the great you know just athletically unbelievable. Just that was probably the first one that I can remember that just like wow. Celtics would certainly have won more championships. They had beaten the Houston Rockets that year. And I guarantee you, Larry Bird's career would have been extended had Len Bias not passed away tragically. Then there was 1990. Remember Hank Gathers? And it wasn't just watching him collapse on the court that, that had an effect on you, but it was sort of the way his team performed after that and carried on his legacy. You remember Bo Kimball, the left-handed free throws. Loyola Marymount, if you got, if you, you know, if you ever want to Google a great story, ESPN had a great uh, 30 for 30 on UNLV and Hank Gathers. That team was the first kind of run and gun up and down the court. I mean, kind of like the Golden State Warrior kind of situation back in 1990. They made an unbelievable run in the NCAA tournament. Hank Gathers led the country in rebounds and scoring. Him and him and Bo Kimball went to high school together in Philadelphia, same place Kobe was from. And remember, remember. On SportsCenter, they showed him dying on the court. Heart attack during the middle of a game in the WCC tournament game. It collapsed on the court, died right on the court. That team that year averaged 122 points per game. That's a record in NCAA Division And might have won the national championship. I mean, they were devastating. And those two guys, Kimball and Gathers, people don't realize, they started their careers at USC. They transferred when George Raveling became the head yep. coach there, made those yep. controversial yep. remarks yep. that I don't even want to repeat on this podcast, but that was something that had a huge effect on us. Then 1992, Jerome Brown killed in a car accident with his nephew, only 27 years old. Then there was Real quick, 19- he, he was right from around, he's an hour away from where we live right now, Brook, Hernando. in Hernando County, Brooksville, Florida. He was a legend at Miami, Philadelphia Eagles, a, budge, a burgeoning star in the NFL, 
Davey Allison. Remember him? Yep. In a similar accident as Kobe Bryant, he was flying his helicopter, tried to land it in a small area that was fenced in around that life taken from him, 32 years old. Then 1993, that same year, Reggie Lewis, a guy who you were, I absolutely loved. I was such a huge fan. I was, you're such I was a Celtics, you're the Celtics guy. Celtics guy. I, I remember <laughs> coming back to my dorm room, my ho- my my uh, my college dorm room, at I believe it was Smith Hall back in the yeah, day. We were I at was, FSU. Uh, I I was in summer session at Florida State, and Reggie Lewis had just died, just just like that. Then Payne Stewart, Jason, 1999, his plane did not pressurize, only 42 years old. What charisma he had on the golf course. Oh, and people remember, there was a bunch of people on that plane, too. He, had, he, he was on a, he was on a, I don't know if it was a, he was going, I think it was on a private, he was on a private plane going to an event, a corporate event somewhere. He and like seven, eight other people were on the plane, and the plane just, the pressure failed in the plane, the whole plane just, just went on autopilot and eventually crashed and it ran out of gas. Unbelievable. Shocking, stunning, uh, one of the saddest stories ever. Uh, then there was Dale Earnhardt in 2001. 76 Winston Cup wins for him. The final lap of Daytona was his last. He was only 49 years old. You'd think Dale Earnhardt Sr. was older than that. But he had not even reached 50 years old, Jason, and arguably the greatest driver of all time. I mean, and... And again, the difference here is he's one of the few guys that actually died doing what he was doing. Hank Gathers, Dale Earnhardt, they died doing doing the sport that they did. I mean, most of these other uh, other other deaths were guys that might have been in the off season. There were a couple of these in the off season. You know, Reggie White, he had, he had got done playing and he he passed away off season. It wasn't during the season. Uh, Pat Tillman made the courageous decision to give up his NFL career to go fight for our country. And that was, again, allegations. Was it a, was it friendly fire? It ends up being friendly fire in the end, but it was kind of a cover-up. The military kind of, it was some, you know, so that was kind of tragic. But, I mean, Kobe was a all-time legend. I mean, these guys are all great players and great athletes. There aren't many guys that were just all-timers that you said, oh, my gosh. Yeah, Kobe Bryant, with without a doubt. Uh, other other names, Jason, I put on this list. Uh, you know, Darren Williams, uh, Broncos defensive back, was a guy that I covered in college when he was at Oklahoma State. One of the nicest, most charismatic players. Uh, I think still holds the record in Division One football for interception returns right. for touchdowns. He would have been a multi-time Pro Bowler for the Broncos. Uh, gunned down in front of a club by the gang, the Crips. In the lap of former Denver, Florida, State, Florida State receiver Javon Walker right, right there. That, that was a unbelievable tragedy. Another guy I want to bring up, actually two, Stuart Scott, even though he had cancer, I think still stunned was everybody right. when Stu passed away and the effect that he had on broadcasting. We remember him starting on ESPN2, the yeah. deuce, and combining that hip-hop with broadcasting and just... I mean, man, he, he brought hip-hop to, to sports entertainment, sports media. Yep. I mean, he was the first guy that got away with getting into the, the hip-hop culture, into, into the lexicon of sports highlights, sports broadcasting. You know, and he, he was the perfect guy to do that. Last one I want to bring up before we get back to Kobe is, is a young lady I had a chance to work with, Jay, the last... A uh, few years in New Orleans, whenever I worked the, the Sun Belt basketball tournament, and that's Carly McCord. Uh, I know you probably didn't know her personally, but that name rings the bell. That's of course the young lady killed on her way um, to the uh, Chick Fil A Peach Bowl when playoff LSU, game, the playoff game, you know, LSU college football playoff game, and the the daughter in law of uh, Coach Ensminger, the the offensive coordinator for LSU. Let me just tell you quick story about her. I actually worked with her for the first time. A few years ago, I'm prepping like crazy before a game that's about to start in 30 minutes. She taps me on the shoulder, says, hey, Drew, I'm Carly. What can you tell me about this tournament? I gave her a few facts. She was writing it down really, really fast. Um, At the time, I thought to myself, wow, this is really going to be an adventure. I don't think this girl knows what she's doing. (laughs) Sure enough, Jason, over the course of that day, I probably pitched to her about... 12 times, every single time, she nailed it. She had charisma. She had the voice. She had the look. She had just that feel where you, you met her and you felt like you knew her for a long time. 
Jason, she would have been a superstar, kind of like Laura Rutledge is now for our network. Laura started here in the Tampa Bay area. Carly McCord was on her way, and I think somebody that people should definitely know about. She had done uh, a plethora of jobs in that New Orleans area, and she was on her way to the top. Just a great talent that I want to acknowledge. And if you if you go to her webpage, her first recommendation when she looks at the testimonials of people that that talked about her, she put mine wow. at the top, and that just made me feel it. And and uh, yeah. of course uh, mourn her 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 loss. Carly, rest in peace. She would have been a media star. Man, I mean, and, and again, most of these situations were just. It was over. One, one, one. Sean Taylor, burglar breaks in his house, shootout in the house. He's dead. Stuart Scott, you kind of knew that what the ending was going to be, unfortunately, because he had a cancer. But you know, Jerome Brown, dead, car wreck. You're dead in ten second. I mean, a ten second situation. Kobe, dead. Carly McCord, airplane crash, dead. I mean, just. I mean, it's, it's just. It's just the blink of an eye, and it's over. And that's the part that's that. That's the part that gets people. That it was just such a fluke accident. So, Jason, after mourning and after thinking and just kind of being mellow, for Carly, it was about two weeks where, I mean, you know me. I, I wasn't doing much for those next 14 days. Kobe, I've been a little numb this week, as I'm sure you have as well. But after you mourn, you, you have to remember all the great times uh, yeah. and what made you think of these people and hold them in such high regard. And for Kobe... I remember for me, it was 2008, and it was the Olympics in Beijing. I was not a Kobe fan. Were you a Kobe or Jordan guy? I, I, I was a Jordan guy, and I always kind of looked at him as a threat, okay, because he was a lot of flash, but I didn't think he was tough enough. But he had shown in those years, and that, that, that three-peat with Shaq, that he was tough enough, so I knew the guy had Hall of Fame material, but when he joined that Olympic team in 2008, remember, we were embarrassed in 04. When he joined that team in 08, he just gave us a different type of medal and will to win. And Spain that year was playing amazing basketball with Paul Gasol and Ricky Rubio. They probably should have beat us in that gold medal game. Kobe Bryant, he won us that game. That Willed us to the gold medal. He brought the gold medal back to, to the United States. He was the difference in that tournament. After that year, Jason, I appreciated his game, and I loved him even as a Laker. He was probably the last superstar where the there was no love loss. That we're not shaking hands after the game. Even if even if I beat you, nowadays you watch NBA games, there's just a lot of I won't say friendly after the game, but it just it's not as serious as it was back in the nineties and early two thousands. When Jordan played, there wasn't any shaking hands with the Knicks, with the Pistons. Kobe wasn't shaking hands with Pippen in the in the Trailblazers, Rasheed Wallace, those, you know David Robinson in the Spurs. It was get out of my way or get out of my gym, whatever. It was a he had a killer mentality between the lines. He was not a guy that was going to be lovey dovey after the game. Remember, Orlando once got to the the NBA Finals and were destroyed by Kobe Bryant. They just could not match his determination that year. I mean, and his will. And granted, the, he was on a he was on a great team. Him and Shaq, and you can there's there's discussion about who caused the, the friction and who caused. I mean, Kobe pretty much told the Lakers, "Hey, you got to get rid of Shaquille O'Neal." Because if you remember, Shaq didn't like to get in shape. He waited about forty or fifty games into the season to really get in shape. He always come into camp overweight. He you know he'd be injured a little bit. Kobe didn't like that. Kobe Kobe wanted you to be ready game one. He was not about. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna massage our way into the season, the first twenty or thirty games. That dude was let's win every freaking game. I'm putting in all the work, and if you guys don't want to get on board, I'll I'll shoot. I'll take all the shots. I'm putting in the work. I'll take the best guy on defense. There were those moments too, 2011, 2012, where his will was questioned. You remember they were eliminated by the Phoenix Suns. I I can't remember whether it was 2011, 2012. Steve Nash was the MVP of the league in one of those years. And he was a diva now. Yeah, he had some there, diva in him. There were moments where you thought Kobe Bryant was either going to jump to another team, was he going to have a complete meltdown? Um, I mean, he, he, people he, don't remember he demanded to be traded. And he was from what I what I read, I read a little bit. He was all but traded to the Chicago Bulls, but the Bulls didn't want to throw in Luau Dang. Can you believe 
Luau Deng was the reason why Chicago didn't acquire Kobe freaking Bryant in, back in the, the late 2000s. I mean, he demanded a trade. He threatened to go to the Clippers. He almost went to the Clippers. If you didn't see the great TNT, TNT did a great sit-down with Shaq and Jerry West last night in the pregame and the postgame show. And Jerry West told some very poignant stories about he was on his way to the Clippers and Jerry West had to basically tell him, you can't go play for that owner because I think Jerry West knew that owner had some issues with African-American athletes. He'd had some trouble with in his business practices. And obviously we all know what happened to Donald Sterling with the Clippers a few years later. So Kobe wasn't a choir boy as a teammate. He was very difficult to work with, very much like Jordan. He didn't. He expected everybody to be at the A-plus level all the time. And guys just weren't, one, built for that, and two, didn't have the drive and didn't have that mentality to do it, that that so-called Mamba mentality. 2010, the Lakers won their last championship. And then I think a reason for people to love Kobe again after he ruptured his Achilles and the road back, the challenge that he would face, and father time was starting to creep in, he was going to have to overcome the odds and do something that not a lot of athletes have been able to do. And he was never, of course, the same, but the fact that he fought through it, and I think the way he performed, Jay, on his final game, that final night, Against the Utah Jazz, Mike Tirico on the call. Him and Hubie. Hubie. That was Him and Hubie on the call. maybe the most incredible performance. And it was it was one of those where, yeah, it was definitely, you know, one guy kind of just taking some would, it upon Some himself. would say you're really gonna shoot fifty shots. Exactly. But, I mean, there's a little bit of that to it, but I know but the moment that he just rose to the moment. It, it was it was probably one of the most amazing sports moments that we've ever been a part of. And then the way he was able, Jay, to go off into retirement gracefully, the way he was able to sort of take a step back and the way that he was able to, you know, not immediately get into broadcasting, not really have his face out there all the time, just as you said before. Didn't have any interest in that. Kind of did his thing and said, I want to be great doing other things. And and no other thing did he want to be as great in as it was being a father. And he was doing a, a phenomenal job at that. And his second daughter, Gigi, what a what a player, what a person she would have become. And it, not that I didn't know this, but I was surprised how much, how many guys have come out and said he was our Jordan. The the guys that are probably twenty eight to thirty years old now and below. Remember, Kobe was came right after Michael. He was the next guy, and honestly, he's been the only guy that you could ever honestly say. He's the closest thing to Jordan. LeBron is not like Jordan. Totally different players. Kobe is that guy, two guard, D up on defense, athletic. One thing, Kobe improved his game every year. Something in his game. He went from the, the devastating turnaround, the athleticism he showed early in his career, to the, to the mid-range game. Nowadays, it's either threes or dunks. There's no mid-range game. Kobe was unbelievable when he got in the low poach or at the top of the elbow with that with that mid-range game. I think that was one of the reasons that he didn't want Shaq in the mix is because Shaq was such a overpowering force in the lane. It kind of ate up his space that he didn't wasn't able to excel, but they were a devastating combination. And it was one of those things, back to that conflict, where, where Shaq thought that Kobe shot too much. Kobe thought that Shaq was not in the proper physical conditioning that he needed to be in. And they were both right. And those, those two guys once came to blows. They came to the arena one time looking for each other to duke it out. Through all of that, you saw last night on TNT the reaction from Shaq. I'm telling you, man, when you've played that long with somebody, when you've competed with somebody, you've been, you've been in the foxhole with them like those two were. Um, <laughs> Shaq says he'll never be the same. I believe him. Watching how he reacted last night, that was really heartfelt. Is he the greatest Laker of all time, in your opinion? Or is it Magic or Kareem? (laughs) I'm going to stay partial with Magic Johnson, simply because even though Magic's tenure was shorter, he still won five championships. And I think his, his route never veered. I think Kobe had a few too many of those times where he almost 
kind of said off, f you to the Lakers. Kind of went off the deep end, and and then you know there were there were just some episodes. Now now Magic had a few trying times too in the early '80s. We definitely know about he, those. He got some coaches. Magic got some coaches fired, and he pulled his he pulled his trump card of I'm the man. You're going to do what I tell you to do. But remember, free agency wasn't nearly what it was in Kobe's era, so there was there wasn't as much opportunity for Magic to maybe go somewhere else. But I get what you're saying. I mean, that's it's that's a debate. I mean, that is a debate. Now Kobe went to the NBA too right out of high school. You have to think of that. He started out as number eight. Wound up as number 24. They have both of his jerseys retired. And the eras that he played through, the amount of teammates that he had from Nick Van Exel to Derek Fisher. To Vlade. To Vlade, to Robert Ori, to Lamar Odom, to Paul Gasol. So many different eras. He played through a rebuild. And I think that's why you could probably consider him the best Laker of all time. I still like Magic just because <laughs> of that smile. And that charisma, and although Magic is still with us, we'll never forget that day in 1992, I believe it was. That was another, you talk about a seminal moment, nobody passed away, but that was a moment where you and I, in the country, that wasn't just a basketball story, or that was a jarring announcement when Magic Johnson goes to the the podium and says, I have HIV. I mean, and, and remember in 1992, HIV was a death sentence. There wasn't all the the medication, all the pills, all the treatment options that there are now to to prolong your life. When you thought when you heard HIV in 1992, you thought, okay, in less than six months, Magic Johnson's going to be gone. I just remember too, being a Celtics fan growing up and watching Magic play, not just against them, but against Seattle or Phoenix or one of those teams trying to knock off the Lakers. No matter what position, how how many points the Lakers were down when you saw 32 bringing that ball up the court like he did, six foot nine and direct in traffic, you knew that you were in trouble. There was just something about him, the aura that he had, and he was the ultimate team guy. To me, he's still my number one Laker of all time. Kobe, a close, close second. And Jay, through all of this, our thoughts, our prayers, the families in this horrible tragedy. And Kobe will never forget you as a player. Will never forget you for the man that you had become. And the one thing I, no matter whether you were a Kobe guy, Jordan guy, Magic guy, whoever you like, the one thing you can never question about Kobe, he gave you an effort every night. Whether it was a mid mid March game in Sacramento, that guy was there to play. There wasn't any load management. There wasn't any. I'm going to take the night off. There wasn't any. I'm not. I'm going to play 20 minutes tonight because I'm not. That guy gave you an effort like he was broke every night. That guy. He didn't, he didn't shoot the best. He wasn't the best shooter of all time, but that guy gave you max effort virtually every night he played, and he played every night. And I think I'll just close it with this. You know, we're going to remember Kobe all the great times, but we also have to ask yourself, how can the life of this man make us all better? Kobe was a guy that if you had goals, if you were saying, I'm going to do this in my life or I want to do that, he would question you. How are you going to get that done? What steps are you going to take? What work are you going to put in? Jay, I know that you have a lot of goals in your life. I have a lot of goals in my life. And I'm asking myself, I'm taking inventory. I'm reevaluating because of Kobe Bryant. How am I going to get there? What do I want to accomplish? What work do I want to put in? Because nothing that we want, that we really, really want in this world is going to come easy. Remember that, if anything, about Kobe Bryant. Yep. And the one thing you ha- we do have to mention, you know, I know this is, a, this is a very terrible situation, but you have to bring up the situation in Denver, Colorado, back early in his career. You know, he got accused. There was a, alter- a sexual assault incident. The case never went to trial. There was a court settlement in civil court. I mean, so that, that's one th- Again, who knows what happened, but that is something you do have to mention in, in, in the in the. In the eulogy part of, of a Kobe Bryant, it, it, it's all a lot of great things, a lot of good things off the court. But you also do have to remember that that he was involved in, a, in a, an incident in Colorado. He was married at the time, so it's you know, I know we're trying to put him in the perfect light all the time, and I get it. But you also have to that has to be part of the story. You can't just gloss over it and say that didn't happen. So, you know, none of us are perfect, but you have to mention that. 
And on the flip side, I think obviously that's a horrible moment in Kobe Bryant's life, but the fact that he was able to turn things in the right direction, I do think that he surrendered his life to Christ. I do think big advocate of women's women's sports, women's advancement. Um, obviously, he had four daughters, so that helped that that cause. But even away from his daughters, I think he was very much a proponent of accelerating the women's movement as far as athletics goes. You know, pay pay his entertainment ventures that he was in. He had women involved in those things, so you do have to give Kobe a lot of credit for that. And we also have to remember that we all make mistakes, all of us. Uh, I've never made a mistake like that. Hopefully, I never do. But we all make mistakes. And how do you respond after the mistake? And I, I think he responded the right way. And I think his life was on the best path possible. And uh, But you are right. that That is part of his legacy. But I and I'm sure many other fans that believe in Kobe and believe in what he did, look at how he, how he responded to it after. Because I'll never forget him sitting up there with his wife next to him, holding back tears, saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Obviously, stuff went on there, but he was able to take care of it, and he responded after the fact. And uh, he never had any more incidents like yep. that. So the way he responded after and how he, he uh, recouped after the mistake, I think, is what I like to look at most. Absolutely. And you got to give him credit for that. Real quick, what do you think the NBA does for, to, to kind of commemorate Logan? There's been a lot of talk about maybe he replaces Jerry West as the logo. I think Jerry West would probably be in favor of that. I know there's been talk about Michael, is Michael Jordan the logo. I think that'd be a cool thing to do to, to com- maybe commemorate Kobe. Um, it would be very interesting to see what they do here coming Friday night in L.A. Because they, remember, they postponed the game against the Clippers. They're going to play Friday night against Portland. It's going to be very interesting what happens there. And then obviously the All-Star game is another week, couple weeks away in Chicago. The the Just the love and the the, the uh, you know the appreciation for Kobe is going to be off the charts. I'll tell you what, if they're ever going to change that logo, and there's been talk of that over the years, what better time than now? What better time than now? And there's so many incredibly graceful snapshots we have of Kobe in our minds. You could just pick one. And I think that would be a fabulous idea. And I think that Jerry West would be all in favor of that. I believe Michael Jordan probably would as well. When you you look at the scope of everything, you know, sometimes perhaps when a guy in his life is taken early, he has a certain aura about him that lives on even more so than if he were alive. And, And hopefully you hope that is the case for Kobe Bryant. I mean, here's another here's another example. We talk about names. A guy in the hip hop nation, the hip hop culture, Tupac Shakur, when he died in the when he was 25, 26 years old, something like that. I mean, when he died, I mean, it had that effect in the in, in the African American community, in the hip hop, in the in the hip hop culture. That was kind of their their Michael Jordan, their Kobe Bryant at the time. I mean, he was a active participant. He was at the top of his game. I mean, he was at the top of the music industry, and that and that was just a, all of a sudden, bam, it's over. And it still hasn't been. That's something we don't. We still don't know what happened. So, uh, just just a terrible situation. But again, take something out of it from from your perspective and every in all of our lives. Like you said, look at yourself. Hey, are you telling the people you love them, the people that are close to you, that you love them enough? You know, Shaq made the point. Do do, do I need to do that? Sure. I mean, there are people in my life that I need. To, I need to. You need. We need to tell people our close people in our lives how much we do truly do care about it because. One incident, it's over. One incident, whether it's natural causes, whether it's an accident, whether it's whatever, your whole life, a lot of our things can change in one instance. And another thing, just just to add to that, is so many things can come of this tragedy. Travel arrangements. I travel, you travel, and I'm sure people listening to your podcast travel often. Don't take your travel arrangements lightly. I'm not just talking about flying on helicopters and small planes but when you drive, how you drive. Um, boats, operating boats, just all those kind Everything of- that deals with getting from one place to the next. You're taking your life into your own hands every single time you do it. You know, small planes, for me, I just don't do them. Um, I, I look, you know, Saturday I have to go to Starkville, Mississippi for a basketball game for ESPN. I'm going to fly to Atlanta, Jay, and I'm going to drive four hours from Atlanta <laughs> to Starkville. 
and 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 that's just me. The, the older I get, I just realize, you know, I I like to just yeah. get behind the wheel. And if I'm not flying into a big city on a nice plane, I'd rather do it that way. Now you don't have to be too extreme like that. I do, every small plane from Delta or United or American Airlines has has been really safe for me, but. Um, it, you, just you simple just things. Think. Don't drink and drive. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uber's available. Lyft's available. There are mechanisms to get you from point A to point B if you feel like you're not in a, in a position to be able to do it safely. Just be, just be thoughtful of that, like you said. Whether it's riding a bike down the street. Don't ride. I mean, just those kind of little things that we take for granted that one instance changes people's lives. You know, people that speed by you in cars and cut in and out of traffic and do crazy stuff like that. There's no need Maybe for it. Maybe half of those people will think twice, yeah. you know, from now on. And make traveling safer, whether it's by plane, by car, by train, by foot, right? whatever. Yeah, those things, you know, along with the Mamba mentality and just remembering Kobe, I think are things that we can all think of and be better in our personal lives, Jason, as we move forward. Yep, absolutely. All right, so you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. We've got Drew Felios, ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, childhood friend of mine. We're here in uh, down in Tampa, and uh, so we hopefully gave you some good insight on Kobe, just some good our opinions, our thoughts about the situation. I want to get to a little bit of a lighter note as we head to the Super Bowl. It's Super Bowl week. I know this is, is a, again, can you imagine if this story took place on the day of the Super Bowl? I mean, and, that, and, that, and again, there's no good day for it. The Pro Bowl was non-existent. Did that game even happen? I mean, after the Kobe tragedy, it was like nobody even knew this game was going on. I mean, it was round-the-clock round coverage. Once it was confirmed, he was in the accident. They knew it was – I mean, it just turned into a – I mean, breaking news. I mean, it was breaking news. Tw- every channel. And you know what? How does TMZ get this story before the major? I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how TMZ they get it right ninety five percent of the time when they break these news stories in the entertainment world, sports world, whatever. It's unbelievable how TMZ gets these things right all the time. And then after that, you have publications, news organizations trying to catch up and play catch up, and because of that, they start reporting false things like Rick Fox. On that, on, I on heard that, that last. I couldn't believe that mm-hmm. they said. <laughs> I mean, terrible. We got people blown. I mean, it was initially five people, then it went to nine people. They weren't sure was it Kobe's whole family on the hell. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's the irresponsible part of the of the sport, and you're a part of that. But that's the stuff you can't as as a journalist. You can't do that. You have. I mean, again, give full credit to TMZ. They had it. They. I don't think they said how many people. They just said Kobe was involved. So, but just just don't just be careful if you're in the media in, in that kind of world because you put so many people at risk and it affects so many people by making stuff up that's just not true. Yep. All right. So let's get to a little bit of a more pleasant subject. Let's get to talk a little Super Bowl. Let me tell you a little story first before we get to the Super Bowl. So last week I'm I'm I almost went a trip to the Super Bowl last week. I was in a trivia contest on Mad Dog Sports Radio. My favorite sports radio guy, Chris Russo, has a, has a Super Bowl contest every every year where he gives away four sets of tickets to the Super Bowl for trivia. You have to answer four questions all about the Super Bowl. And these are hard questions. I mean, these are not – these are really, really hard questions. And I made it to question number four. Wow. Every one of these number four questions are audio questions, and they are so hard. And I couldn't get the fourth audio question, but I was this close to going to the Super Bowl and uh, down in Miami this week. But that was my kind of little Super Bowl trivia. It was fun. Um, all right. Initial thoughts of the Super Bowl. Kansas City, San Francisco. I think it's a great matchup. I think you got two great quarterbacks in this game. I think Garoppolo is still underrated. I'm surprised at some of the, the disrespect he gets. People still think that he's sort of the, the the weak link in this game. I totally disagree. I think he was born for this moment. I think he's ready. And I think San Francisco has the more balanced team. They've got the better defense as well. And I'm just thinking that this is going to be San Francisco's day. I think in great games like this, Jay, great defenses usually prevail over high-flying, prolific offenses. I think this is going to be the 49ers' day. We're gonna to get to your prediction in a couple. Hold your prediction here. We're gonna okay. we're gonna do we're gonna break down the game a little bit. I think one of the interesting things in this game is the pressure on Andy Reid. 
Andy Reid in his second Super Bowl. He's done everything else in his career except win a Super Bowl. Do you realize Andy Reid is sixth all-time in NFL wins for head coaches? He's got 207 wins as a head coach in the NFL. Been a head coach 21 years, 14 with the Eagles, 7 with the Chiefs, been to the playoffs 14 times, 10 division titles, 7 conference championship games, and it's his second Super Bowl appearance. But again, when we think great coaches, we think what? they got to win a championship. And no coach, I think, has paid his dues quite like Andy Reid. No coach has been through as much bullcrap as Andy Reid. Uh, feuds with players, uh, you know, the, the personal tragedy that he experienced years ago with the loss of his son. Um, just the ups, the downs, being in Philly. You know, they thought they should have won with Donovan McNabb. Uh, imagine how long ago that Super Bowl was, Jay. 15 years. Can you believe it's been 15 years since they played the Patriots? Incredible. That many years has gone by with Terrell Owens at wide receiver that year and a year to forget still, I think, for Philadelphia. If there's any coach that you would like to see win a Super Bowl, it'd be Andy Reid. And we have some personal connection with Andy Reid and the Eagles because, remember, our Bucks back in 03 went up to Philadelphia in the last game ever at the Vet, and we shut the Vet down when Tiki Barber went coast-to-coast coast and Joe Jaravicious got Rondé, it done. Rondé Barber. Yeah, my bad, Rondé. The Bull, our buddy, the Bull, Brad Johnson, led the, led the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl, beating Philadelphia in Philadelphia when everybody had Philadelphia going to the Super Bowl. Nobody had John Gruden in the Buccaneers. All the heartache that we've had with the, with Gruden and Tony Dungy, Brad Johnson, Joe Jarevicius, Rondé Barber, and that defense took us to the promised land in San Diego. Remember that that God. Eagles team too with with, with Hugh Douglas, I oh. believe. You had Westbrook. McNabb. I mean, they, they had some great players. Um, Mitchell, the great return guy that year. Every time he he, he Freddie Mitchell, you <laughs> just held your breath. But oh, Tampa God. Bay. Uh, was was better. Lynch, and, and John Lynch. John Lynch was awesome on that day. Jared Vicious was incredible. Uh, Brooks, the, the, Bucks, the Bucks were just better that year. And and remember, a couple years before that, in consecutive years, or I believe years, you know, where where the Bucks had gotten to the NFC Championship game, the or, Eagles into the playoffs. The yeah. Eagles destroyed them. But that year, they just had something special. And those were times when Andy Reid was labeled as a guy who could not win the big game, a coach who could who could take you, Jay, to the championship to, to, game, to the doorstep, but could not finish the deal. Well, it's amazing what happens when you come across a once-in-a-lifetime player like Patrick Mahomes has become here in his first two years. And the other part of this coaching matchup is Kyle Shanahan. He's got the pedigree with his dad. We all know that. But remember, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, up 28-3 against the Patriots. And we killed Kyle Shanahan for that last drive in the Patriots game by not running the ball to allow the Patriots to sack Matt Ryan, kick him out of field goal range. Because remember, if they kick a field goal at the end on that last drive, there's no more Patriots. They win the game and the Falcons are the champions. So pressure on Kyle Shanahan. But I love how he's built this team. He and John Lynch have gotten together. They took their lumps the first couple years. Remember, they, they, they went to San Francisco as a team. Six-year contracts, both of them got. They weren't very good that first year. In year two, no, the first year they traded for Garoppolo at the end of the first year, 2000 and I believe it was 17. The last five, six games, they won five games in a row. All the expectations were last year that the 49ers were going to be the team. And guess what? In game three or four in Kansas City, is when Jimmy G blew his knee out on that scramble play. The Niners go to be in a 4-12 team, which in, in retrospect was a great thing because they got Nick Bosa this year with the number two pick in the draft, and they've just put it up. They built the team. Lynch has built this team like the Buccaneers were built. Front four dominance, defensive strength, complementary players on offense, a power running game. Shanahan, by all accounts, is the best run designer, the, the best play caller when it comes to running plays in the NFL. And I think you're going to see a lot of running plays. And I'm with you. Garoppolo is being very much undervalued. Big time. Uh, big time. Uh, you, you talk about some of those acquisitions. I love 49ers getting Quan Alexander. Love what they were able to do with him. Uh, another guy that Richard I... Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman has been so good. A lot of people thought he his was best done. days were behind him. Best days with the Seahawks 
of course, but but he has veteran shown that he has so much more great football left in his career. Another guy who is one of my personal favorites, a guy who I covered, Jay, in high school, at Nature Coast High School. I called several of his games. <laughs> Matt Breida, so proud was of this he from young here? man and what he's been able to do. He was so overlooked and overshadowed. Went to Georgia Southern to right. play college football. Florida State, Miami, USF. Florida, South Florida didn't even look for this guy. And look where he ends up. Look what he becomes fast and, and just electric. And he has just he has made us so proud here around the Tampa area what he has been able to do with his NFL career. So you look at the pieces that they have, San Francisco, and I just feel like you know you don't you just don't just need that good mix of players, Jay. That mix of players with something to play for, with a chip on their shoulder, with something to prove. I believe San Francisco is going to be a little bit more hungrier this year. And again. The cool part of this matchup is you got the unbelievable offense. You got the track team. You got Tyreek Hill, Watkins, Hardeman, Demarcus Robinson. You got the track team for the Chiefs versus the nitty-gritty, gritty-gutty, defensive line-based, offensive power running game of the 49ers. Everybody's saying Jimmy G can't do it because they threw, they only threw the ball eight times. Why, if you're the 49ers, would you throw the ball when you're getting six, seven yards a clip running the ball? What would we be saying about the 49ers had they tried to go throw the ball 35 times against the Packers to prove a point? Run the ball. This game is still one in between the trenches. Nine times out of ten, the team that wins the line of scrimmage in the offensive defensive lines typically win football games. College level, pro level, high school level. I totally agree. And when, when people say, oh, it's such, a, it's such an open, wide open passing league, what happened to Lamar Jackson? Okay, that they exposed him. You have got to be able to run it in between the tackles. You've got to play nitty gritty, uh, just basic football. I think the team that plays low percentage when it comes to, to 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 stuff going wrong, making the least mistakes, those are the teams that win championships. And I'll make a quick basketball analogy. Everybody thinks you got to shoot threes today. Threes are layups to win games. I think that's a load of crap. You know, teams like this, the teams like the. I can curse on here too, can I? You can. Oh, okay. Not too bad, but you a little bit. Go ahead. San Antonio Spurs. Look at the, the the basketball that they played when they won all those championships. Were they shooting a ton of threes? No. no. When they were there, they were. But still, it's teams fundamentally that can sound break bro. you down. Fundamentally sound. You're exactly right. Toronto Raptors. Same thing. A team that just beats you down. Those effort. Teams, effort. Those teams win it. Not teams that. That, that contort to a certain fad of the game, how it's going. Teams like the Golden State Warriors, that, that's a rare, rare breed. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing that's going to happen. Not all teams are going to play this way. So you're right. The team that does A, B, and C best, the team that, gonna, that, that is going to win. And from your perspective, you see this every week when you travel around the country doing basketball. You'll see teams shoot up 35 threes in a college game, and you'll see other teams that are more of a low-post-based team football you'll see spread it out teams versus the georgia southerns of the world that run the option army navy georgia southern air force these teams every year they win seven eight nine games because it's run the ball between the tackles they they don't try to out athlete you they don't have the five stars but they are fundamentally sound and i really think that's going to be a key to this game on sunday is I'll give Kansas City credit. Lately, they've been playing more disciplined, but 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 if they're going to try to win this game playing wild, running, gun football, San Francisco's just going to say, you know what? We're going to go four yards at a time. We're going to take seven minutes of drive to score. I'm not sure Kansas City can stop them on defense. I think that's going to be how much does Kansas City have to sell out on defense just to try to stop their running game. And I can promise you there's going to be plenty of play action by San Francisco. And when they do that, Kittle, Emmanuel Sanders, Debo Sam, Sam, Debo Sambo is going to be. They're going to be open. These guys are going to be open. Play action causes disasters. Run when you want to run. Throw when you want to throw. That's the adage. It's instead of throw when you have to throw, it's throw when you want to throw. And I think that's going to be a big key to this game. Is can, if San Francisco can establish the running game, there's going to be a lot of problems for Kansas City. One guy who I do think on the other side that was going to have a great night 
I love what Sammy Watkins is doing. I think this guy is driven. I think he's one of the elite receivers in the league. He's been under the radar, Jay, since he came into the league. And I think he's, he's ready to blow the tops off. I also think Mahomes is going to start slow, but he's going to finish strong. And San Francisco is going to need everything in the tank to, 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 to get the victory and to come out of there on top. Two things to look out for. One, Kansas City has notoriously started slow these playoff games. Down 24 to nothing to Houston. Down 10 nothing and 17-7 to the Titans. Do not get down double digits to this 49er team, in my opinion. Shanahan will not take the foot off the pedal like he did in the, in the Patriots game. Shanahan will be a very aggressive play caller throughout this game. Again, what decides these games? Turnovers, unexpected guys, Watkins, Matt Breida. Is there going to be a return for a touchdown? The kicking game. I'm a kicking guy. Make the field goals you got to make. You can't miss the short field goals. You can't have special teams disasters. You know, Kansas City and the Titans, what did Tennessee do? They ran a fake punt and gained 25 yards. What did Houston do? They tried to run a fake punt and got stopped on their own 30-yard line. So, this is not going to be just a straight, flat-out, run-the-ball-throw-the-ball kind of game. There's going to be a couple plays that are going to be out of the norm, a reverse pass, a, a flea flicker. Something's going to come out of the norm by one of these two teams that's either going to make a big play or going to be a disaster. So which coach has the has the nuts and the cojones to dial up that play at the right moment? What did, what did the Saints do? They kicked a surprise onside kick, you know, yeah, I mean, just those kind of things are what decides these kind of Super Bowls. And it's a dead toss-up. If you're a gambler out there, this is a dead toss-up game. And I think I have – we're going to talk about what my opinion – I mean, our opinions. But, I, I mean, I'd rather have good defense, really good defense, and a above-average offense as opposed to a track meet offense and a below-average defense. And, uh, and Kansas City's gotten better on defense, but I still think they're average at best on defense, at best. You just said it. When you go down 24 to nothing, sure, the comeback story is great, but how did that work out for the Buffalo Bills way back in the day whenever they had that miraculous comeback? You come across a great team, and that's not going to happen. I, I think the 49ers, they have put the pieces together, and I, I think this team is ready for the moment. I think the city of San Francisco was hungry for a championship. Remember, this is not only a franchise that had to endure – you know, all the down years, they also endured all the, the fallout from the Colin Kaepernick situation. You can see how that turned out. Moving on from him. Harbaugh, Harbaugh ran hard. You know, Harbaugh had some success seven, eight years ago, but then there was a falling out with them. The owner made a couple bad coaching hires, Chip Kelly, Tom Sula. Finally, they mirrored up GM and coach. Major changes back to the 49er way. They've kind of got back to their 49er way. Remember, Kansas City hadn't been in the Super Bowl in 50 years since 1969. Unbelievable. Lamar Hunt, all the legacy with Lamar Hunt in the NFL, AFL. Also want to ask you this. Thinking back historically, think of gunslinger quarterbacks, really, really athletic superstar guys getting to the Super Bowl for the first time and how it turned out. Okay, Dan Marino, how that turned out. Not Never good. got back again. John Elway. Okay, the first few times did not work out for him. It wasn't until late in his career, his final few seasons, where he finally won a Super Bowl. Boomer Esiason tried it with the Bengals against the 49ers. That didn't work out so well. Uh, you had other guys, uh, Tony Eason back with the, the Patriots. New England Patriots back in the day. I'm pulling up names now. Um, you know, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Cordell Stewart right. back in the day. Just guys that, that are deemed stars really quick that get a lot of attention that have a lot of weight on their shoulders early in their careers to go win that Super Bowl the biggest game on earth usually it doesn't work the out first very time. well the, the first, first time, time historically right. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to win several championships in his career but this first time with everything on his shoulders and all the hype that he has coming in I think in this particular game Jay it's a bit overwhelming for him and remember, the last time we had a great offense versus a great defense probably was Seattle and Denver, Peyton Manning, against that Legion of Boom defense, which Richard Sherman was on. And if you remember, Seattle destroyed Denver offensively. I mean, 
Peyton Manning, that was the year he threw 50 touchdowns, was the MVP, was just high-flying, and they just completely shut down that team. And the one thing that makes me nervous about Andy Reid, his propensity to not want to run the ball. He's been so dependent on the pa- on the passing game. And this San Francisco front four, to me, that's the matchup of the game. The front four of the 49ers versus the offensive line. If San Francisco can get pressure without having to blitz, I think it's it's game over for the Chiefs. I don't think they're going to, over the course of four quarters, if they don't have to blitz much, they're going to blitz a little bit. But if they can get consistent pressure on Patrick Mahomes without having to blitz, I think it's going to be big problems for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm with you. I think Garoppolo's going to play great. Not, maybe not great, but he's going to be above average. He's going to be in, in, in the zone. I think a, a sneaky guy in this game, Emmanuel Sanders. Experienced. Great route runner. I think you're going to see Emmanuel Sanders be a major factor in this game. And the other part of this game is how good are the 49ers receivers and tight ends in the run game? Blocking. Instead of it being a five-yard run, it's a 14-yard run. Instead of it being a 20-yard run, it's a 40-yard run. They absolutely manhandled the Green Bay Packers and Minnesota Vikings in the run game in the playoff run up to the Super Bowl. Prediction time. Drew... You take the first guess. Well, I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag with me. I, I just look at I, I look at things like trajectory during the year. I look at destiny, which team has been built from the ground up a little bit better. There's no doubt Kansas City is due for a championship, and I think they'll get theirs. I think this is a magical combination with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and, and the way that he has – fit Mahomes into his scheme and how Mahomes has taken in that scheme and just run with it. It is a perfect, perfect situation, kind of like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the way those two have made a great pair. That's what lies ahead for Kansas City. But for San Francisco, I just think this is a franchise, a city that is hungry. I think, just as you said, Garoppolo has star power. I like that he's a little bit unorthodox, but he's likable. Um, he, he, he He's a good guy. He's ready for this moment, and they're built on defense. Unlike the 49er teams of the 1980s and, and the great Bill Walsh and what he was able to put together with Joe Montana Steve and Young. Jerry Rice back in the day and Steve Young and, and, and Roger Craig, what great performances they put on. I think this is a franchise that is ready to get back. This is their moment on Sunday, and they're going to be Super Bowl champions. I agree. I think I th- I'm with you. I think the defensive pressure and the defensive uh, – is going to be enough. To, again, is Mahomes going to get some yards? Sure, he's going to get some yards. But I think when it, I think this game is going to be really, really, really telling in the red zone. Both teams. Can Mahomes score touchdowns as opposed to field goals? Can the Niners score touchdowns as opposed to field goals? And I, I just really think Jimmy G is going to be partying with some porn stars here pretty soon. <laughs> he's got a little, got a little history with the porn star, the girls of the of the the adult industry. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see him. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of those in Miami, that's for sure. So the Super Bowl is in a great place. And next year, if they get back here, Tampa ain't so shabby either. <laughs> I think San Francisco wins this game 31-23. I think it's going to be a good game. I think but I think it's going to be in control of the 49ers. I think the Niners are going to get it done. In Miami, Super Bowl 54, I think it's going to be a, a, a good weather. It's going to be, again, but again, I'm going to go MVP. MVP of this game, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to say, I don't know why I'm thinking this. I'm going to say Emmanuel Sanders. Off, off the okay. grid a little bit. Kind of an off the grid. How about Mostert for San Francisco? Does he have a comparable performance like he had in the NFC Championship game? Not going to run for 200, but I, I definitely think he'll be a factor. I think they're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to give him touches. They're going to run the ball, run the ball. And what's so great about their running game, it's so different. It's, one time it's up the lead up the middle. They run so many variations of the same play out of different formations. They have a great fullback in the game, and you check, you check. I think you're going to see a lot of creative run calls out of the 49ers. All right, so we've both got the 49ers. I'm going to lay the one point. I believe. I'm going to take the one point and run. I believe too. <laughs> All right, last thing. We'll wrap it up. Give me a Super Bowl memory for you, personal memory. I'll give you a couple of mine, and then I'll let you. I'll let you finish it off with a couple personal Super Bowl, two memories for me that stand out. When I was in high school, Super Bowl twenty five at Tam- the old Tampa Stadium, I worked concessions at the game. I used to be a. I used to carry those soda trays up and down the stands in Tampa Stadium 
when it was 95 degrees. I sold Coca-Colas in the Tampa Stadium throughout that whole year, and I got the opportunity to work the Super Bowl as a concession guy. That was the year Whitney Houston sang the dramatic national anthem. If you recall, that was the year of Desert Storm when security was heightened. We had, we had for those of you that don't know, McDill Air Force Base is a huge Air Force Base here in Tampa. Tampa is a big military town. At that time, we were right in the start of the Gulf War with George Bush. I mean, just a, an emotional moment. Whitney Houston takes the, the microphone. Buffalo, the high-flying offense against the, the Giants were more of a plotting defensive team. Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator with Parcells. Otis Anderson running the ball. I mean, for the New York Giants. That was this probably, same kind of game. That was the hardest hitting football game I think that ever was in the NFL. So competitive. Probably the best matchup, too, that you would ever see. The most entertaining that night in Tampa. And then you had the dramatic finish with Norwood's kick wide right from 47 yards. With Al Michaels on the, I mean, just what a dramatic finish, 20 to 19 final. And the other memory for me, I was up in Birmingham at the time when our Bucks finally won a Super Bowl. When when they went to San Diego, played the Raiders, Gruden, I mean, just knew those, just knew what was, I mean, the defense basically knew the plays that were coming. What a heart wrench. I mean, I've been, we've been Buck fans our whole life. The finally freaking win the freaking Super Bowl with Derek Brooks getting the interception for touchdown. Dwight Smith. Dexter Jackson was our MVP. Our buddy, through a friend of ours, Brad Johnson, wins the Super Bowl. I mean, I was just finally, our team won a freaking championship. I sat in Lincoln, Nebraska in my apartment because I was working that day. Actually, I, I was home that day just watching the game, and just I just cried. I, just, I, mean, I just watched the TV and cried because everything that we had been through, J.S. Buck fans, throughout the years, all the... All the, Tom McEwen, all the Tom McEwen columns about Vinny Testaverde and all the the Sunday night games with Trent Dilfer, you know, struggling and just all the things that we dealt with up to that point. We gave away Steve Young, gave away Bo Jackson. Oh. I mean, just all, all the Charlie McRae draft picks of the world. <laughs> Broderick Thomas. I mean, just all the... Ray Perkins is our coach. Lehman Bennett. I mean, just Richard Williamson. Keith McCants. I mean, I mean, there's so many guys you could go down the list of guys that we thought were going to pan out that didn't. That was the most incredible Super Bowl memory for me. Just just taking it in, and and I, the thing that was bittersweet is I couldn't be with any of my Tampa friends because I was living away that day. But just watching us do our thing was was the most emotional for me. And then I think a close second, I had a chance to Jay to cover the Super Bowl. In 2001, it was the Giants and the Ravens here here at Tampa Stadium. And I was working for WCTV in Tallahassee. So I'm in Tallahassee working for a Tallahassee station. So when they send me to Tampa, my hometown, to cover the Super Bowl, I have to come up with as many Florida State-themed stories as possible. Remember at the time... Peter Bulware was playing for the Baltimore Ravens, so he was a shoe-in. So we go to media day. We get a great little sit-down with Peter Bulware. It was awesome, okay? So I get that done. Where did they do media day at? At the stadium during the day. Uh, Now, I was in a situation where I had to kind of – I had to knock this assignment out of the park. I'm talking about the whole week. Early in your career. I was under a little fire from my boss at the time, believe it or not. (laughs) I had to redeem myself. I had been benched a few times. I was a young 23-year-old reporter, and I had to figure out a way to to, to do the right thing and, and make this go off without a hitch. Not easy, even in your hometown. But we were able to get a great interview with Boulware, and then I had heard that Derek Brooks, former Noel, of course, was being awarded the NFL's Man of the Year at some hotel downtown. I tell my photographer, let's go. We get in the car. We race downtown. We walk into the ballroom, and the event honoring him had just wrapped up. It was over. No sign of Derek Brooks. I thought to myself, where on earth am I going to find Derek Brooks now? for the rest of this Super Bowl event because we don't have a schedule that says he's going to be anywhere. So we just missed the big whale, basically, the hottest player in the early NFL. In his career, time, yeah. earned early in his career and the, and the knoll that everybody was talking about. So 
I start thinking into secondary mode. Okay, what do I do? Let me just walk outside and figure out something and I'll just talk about this, even though we visually can't see it. So Jay, I'm doing a stand-up right in the middle of downtown Tampa and who walks out in his three-piece suit with the big NFL Man of the Year trophy in his mitts? Derek Brooks. Now, he had just done a, a, a large media gathering. The last thing he wanted to do was talk to me he was ready. The, the, Some bozo from WCTV in Tallahassee. Exactly. <laughs> Some guy saying, hey, he's looking at me like, I just did a long Where were you? deal in there. Where, Where were, you? were you? I've got to go. And the car, the door was open. He was ready to go. Jay, I basically said, Derek, please, I need you to do this for <laughs> My entire career is on the line. <laughs> he, he, he looked at me, and he just kind of had that straight look on his face, and he said, Go ahead. Ask the questions. So I did it. I stood him up next to me, and we banged this out, even though the look oh on his God. face was like, oh, God, I got to do this. But, Jay, oh I pulled it off. We made it happen. That was 2001. Guess what? This fall, finally, I had dinner at Ocean Prime in the heart of Tampa. And guess who joins me for dinner? Me and my broadcast partner for ESPN, Forrest Connolly. Derek Brooks sits down with us. We have dinner that night. And I tell him that story. And he just sh starts shaking his head and laughing. And I said, Derek, this meal tonight is on me, brother. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed. He got a kick out of that. Oh, that's great. And it's just one of those things. We all go through trials and tribulations as professionals. And you remember the little things uh, like that. That's and awesome. for Derek Brooks, it was just a great personal memory. And that's why, you know, Derek Brooks has got an unbelievable reputation. He's the, I mean, honestly, he... He's he could be the mayor of this town. I mean, he is just the man in this town. Not a not a person would say a bad thing about Derek Brooks. Like you said, whether it's that, whether it's community work, whether it's his work with you know with with the youth in the community, he's a great guy. I I was fortunate enough to play with him at Florida State. For, I mean, briefly for a year, and me and him are about the same age. I mean, just a great guy. I mean, just humble humble beginnings. Came from Pensacola, Florida. Just humble beginnings. Great guy. Doesn't ever really – he may do it in his in some parts of his life, but doesn't ever take the attitude that I'm the man. He, he's, he's, a, he's not afraid to, to mingle with, with the common guy, common, you know, people around the, around the community. Just a great guy. So that, that's an awesome story. I, I didn't even know that. That's the first time I've heard that. That's awesome. I didn't even know. WCTV, huh? You and Frank Ranicky. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Montanero. <laughs> Lee Gordon, I love you guys. You know, just one of the great early memories in my oh, career, and Derek God. Brooks, a part of it. And Jay, let me just tell you, man, as we wrap this up, thank you for having me on. This has been a real treat, and uh, I look forward to doing another one of these with you, talking about my journey. And I appreciate you giving me this platform. It's been great. Awesome, man. We appreciate you, and we appreciate you listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Tell a friend. Drew, can you tell some people for me, please? Can we get the can we get the can we get the viewership up a little bit here? I'm trying to trying to make a career out of this. Come on, no, but we appreciate uh, any any help you guys share. Send us a comment at my Twitter feed at kick the fb kick the f like football, but fb is the Twitter feed. If you want to send me a comment, love to hear from you, and uh, appreciate you listening to another episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great weekend.